Um, my name is Noelle. I'm on staff here with Campus Ministry. I was a student here, went to seminary, came back. I love you guys. I love working here. This is what I'm made to do. I love it. Um, we're going to jump right in tonight because I'm super excited about what God has to say to us. So if you're ready, just say yes and let's go for it. Fantastic. Okay, this year at the well, as hopefully most of you know, we are studying our story. Um, the image team put together this awesome timeline. If you don't have one, you can pick one up in the office. Um, we'll have them there throughout the week. But we've been studying our story all the way from the book of Genesis in the Old Testament to uh, we're, we will get to Revelation in the New Testament, and we're cruising along this timeline, stopping at these different points, trying to understand how they all fit together and how we also fit in the story, because this is also our story, and God is writing something really big. Um, also on this timeline, there's a reading guide, so there's, reading, there's a reading, reading schedule that will help you stay uh, connected between the teachings that we do here on Sunday nights. So I know a lot of you are engaging it, which is really awesome. It's never too late to start, so go ahead and pick one of those up. Um, last week, we heard from Scott. He taught out of Leviticus 4 about the sacrificial system and how Jesus is the one true ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We asked the Lord what we needed to offer up, and then we came to the table and we had communion together. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the conquest. It's our next spot in the timeline um, in Joshua 6. But before we do that, as is custom here at the well, every week we're going to watch a weekly recap video. And let me tell you, I've seen it, it is hilarious. So, as you might have picked up, Moses has passed away, and Joshua is the new leader of the Israelites. He is appointed to carry out the mission that um, Moses had and, you know, to take the Israelites into the promised land. So, Joshua is a skilled leader, and he sends a couple of spies into Jericho to go scope out how they were going to take over the city. So, these spies go into Jericho, and they take shelter in the house of Rahab, a prostitute. Um, and she let them go in a deal that they would let her and her family go when the Israelites would destroy Jericho. Now, she knew that the Lord was with the Israelites because she had heard about everything God was doing with them through the wilderness and carrying them through, and she had faith in God. This is key. She had faith in God. So now the spies, they go back to Joshua in the camp, and then the Israelites, they're ready to go into the promised land, this land that God has promised to them. But they have to cross through a few obstacles first. God stops the flow of the Jordan River while it's at flood stage so the Israelites can cross over into the land of Canaan, just like he did with the Red Sea. Um, and the Israelites build this memorial for the Lord at the Jordan River. They make up camp at Gilgal. They go through a second circumcision, and then they celebrate Passover before they attempt to conquer the first city. So um, if you have one of these timelines, you also have this map. So the Israelites were over here in Shittim, and then they go over to Gilgal after they pass the river. So it's about right here. That's where they set up camp before they go into Jericho. Um, so they arrive at Jericho. This is a picture of what is Atel, which is just an ancient city that's been excavated. And this is Jericho. Um, this is a picture from 2015. I had the privilege of going to Israel and Palestine with Ben and Stacy when they took a bunch of us over. I know some of you are going. Be excited. You get to see stuff like this. It's just awesome. So Jericho is one of the most or the, one of the oldest cities, if not the oldest city um, on earth. And it's pretty low. It's below sea level. It's got a lot of fertile soil, lots of palm trees. It's very beautiful over there. Um, but of course, it's like higher up right now because there's been, you know, so much that's been built on top of it. 
Um, here is another picture of our group just looking at the excavations. That's our friend Joel. He was talking to us about the walls that had come down, and we were looking at even remnants of the red bricks in the dirt. It's pretty awesome. Um, the city of Jericho is not really that big. It's probably about like 10 acres in size, so it doesn't take that long to walk around. Just keep that in mind. So the Israelites, they get to Jericho, and there's walls up. There's walls up around this whole tell, two giant walls going all the way around it. Now think about this for a minute. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, being led by God to the land that he promised them. This land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, and now there's this obstacle in their way. They need to conquer the city. But they've been waiting so long to get here, and they're on the brinks of entering in. It's just not quite their time yet. Okay, I want to do something. I want you guys to turn to a few people next to you, introduce yourselves, and talk about the thing that, or something that you've had to wait a really long time for. What is that thing that you've had to wait so long for, and how long have you had to wait for it? Maybe it's something you're waiting for right now. I'll give you a couple minutes. Ready, go. Go for it. Fantastic. Can you actually get the horn and the kazoos and put them like right underneath? Yeah, thanks. All right, I'm sure some of you have some crazy stories um, that you've shared with each other. I've definitely got my own too. Keep them in mind for later. So at this point in the story, Joshua, he goes up to Jericho and he is met with the commander of the Lord's army. And I, I want you to think like angel meeting Mary. It was that crazy, right? It's a commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls on his face to worship. And then he's told to take his shoes off because he's standing on holy ground. So now we're going to pick up in our text. Um, we have Bibles. If you guys want one, go ahead and raise your hand. Our friends in the back will come and bring them to you. If not, you're also invited to just sit and listen. I think that will be a good thing for you guys tonight to just sit and take in the text. Um, we're going to be reading from Joshua 6, verses 1 through 20 and 27. But to do that, I am going to need some help from you guys. Actually, I'm going to need... A lot of help from you guys, probably 15 or 20 of you guys to volunteer and come up and help act, act out the text tonight. How does that sound? Oh man, I hear anxious thoughts. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to name off what I need, and then I'm just going to have you guys come up. So I need three to five people who are going to be the armed guards. Three to five people, come on up. Just do it. Come on. All right. <laughs> 
How you doing? Oh, can you not? Thank you. <laughs> I'm sore. All right. I need seven people to come up and play the role as priests. Seven priests. You get to play an instrument if you do it. Awesome. Love it. Okay, armed guards, I got three, four, five. All right, I'll have my priest stand up here. Priest stand right up here. I need, how many do we have? How many do we have? Five, I need two more priests. Fantastic. Okay, I need two people to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Two people, Ark of the Covenant, right here. That is yours. Okay, and I need three to five people to play the rear guards. Three to five people, rear guards. Okay, just stand right there. So remember your roles. If you're the armed men, the seven priests, the two people carrying the ark, or the three to five people playing the rear guards. So here's what's, actually, you know what? I forgot one thing. Let me run over here. Which one of you priests wants to blow the shofar? <laughs> got to play it like a trumpet, so you've got to go like, poof. And then everybody else gets <laughs> Everyone else gets a kazoo. <laughs> Gotta put no like. <laughs> yeah, priest, priest. Okay, to use this kazoo, you're gonna hum on the short end. Hum into the short end. Go ahead, test it out. Great, it's gonna work great. Okay, so here's what's gonna happen I'm going to read the text, I'm gonna read it very slowly. And as I do that, carefully listen for the instructions. There will be a first section where I'm just reading. It's Joshua talking. And then I'm going to say things and pause. As I pause, that's when you guys are going to act out your role. Does that sound good? Okay. So this, this is going to be your camp. This area is going to be your camp. And that's Jericho over there. Fantastic. Okay. For all of you out here, you can read along. But I'd probably watch this and listen so you can really feel it out because it's going to be great. All right, hear the word of the Lord from Joshua 6, verses 1 through 20 and 27. Are you guys ready? Yes. Fantastic. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. And so Jericho was on lockdown because they knew about what God was doing with the Israelites and they were fearful and they were trying to keep people out. So verse 2, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of the ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. You guys ready? Fantastic. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. <laughs> and he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Ahead of the armed guard or like right now around? <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead. <laughs> This is so great. I love it. <laughs> hey, as long as you're all like in a group, we're going we're gonna to go just fine. All right. When Joshua had spoken to the people. 
Oh, here we go. And then he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going around the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward. (laughs) Blowing their trumpets. (laughs) And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. (laughs) But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the So Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once, and then they returned to the camp. They did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. So on the seventh time around... When the priest sounded the trumpet blast, (laughs) Joshua commanded the army, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies and sent, we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. The walls collapsed, the table wasn't supposed to collapse. (laughs) So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What just happened? Joshua and his people were walking around Jericho once a day for six days. For six days, and then on the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times. They blew their horns, and then they screamed at a wall, and it exploded forward. This is absolutely ridiculous. 
Why did they have to do it this way? Why did they have to march around the city for so many days? For seven times on the last day? I mean, we didn't even finish it, and it's a table that's like six feet around. What were they thinking? Do you think they felt crazy for doing this? I mean, I, f- I feel like we were crazy for doing this. <laughs> I mean, you saw how long it took and how pointless it seemed. They were just going around in circles. Joshua's men might have not even known how long they were going to walk around. The text doesn't tell us if they knew that or not. Or if they knew what was going to happen in the end. Joshua didn't tell them that. Do you think they might have been doubtful that something was going to happen after all? Or maybe even, even disappointed when they were circling around in those days and nothing was happening? What about anxious, maybe even fearful? I feel like I would be. And what about the people of Jericho? Were they just watching this ridiculous military strategy thinking these stupid people, they're just the laughingstock of all people. Look at these fools just walking around in circles. But this is God's military strategy. And it's absolutely ridiculous, right? It doesn't seem rational or logical. I mean, can you imagine any military general coming up with a sketch or a plan for destruction like this? It's crazy. These people were trained to fight. They had been waiting their whole lives for this moment to go in and conquer the first city in the promised land. This was something that was promised to them from generations before. They probably had their own military strategy to conquer it because the spies had come back with this information. We don't know what these plans were, but what we do know is that they were rudely disrupted when Joshua met with the commander of the Lord's army and received a new plan. He received God's plan. It was strange, and it didn't make sense. And you know what? It even seems like God went out of his way to choose this absurd way to conquer Jericho. And this isn't the first time that God worked like this, right? We've seen this before. We've read about God working miracles through really strange plans, right? Think about Moses and the Red Sea. God tells him to stretch out his staff and the waters are going to part. Or God singling out Noah and giving him these very specific instructions, just like he did to Joshua. But to build an ark, to fill it with his family, to fill it with all these animals. But wait a minute, it's going to take a hundred years to build this ark. It's crazy. I wonder what his neighbors were probably thinking. They're like, this crazy man, he probably thinks he heard from the Lord. The Israelites were just walking around in circles once a day for six days, and then they go back to camp and do what? I mean, what were they thinking? Were they getting tired of waiting day after day? What did they even tell their families back at camp, right? They weren't allowed to utter a word unless it was when Joshua told them to. I wonder if they felt ridiculous, and I wonder if they ever felt like giving up. I wonder if some of us have ever felt ridiculous for following God's plan. I mean, have you ever felt like God just kept you walking around in circles with no end in sight? And have you ever felt like giving up on God in that process? So I'm going to tell you a story and show you a few pictures. You know I love stories. 
Um, this is my mom and I. This was from Friday night. We went to Detroit to see The Price is Right live because she's one of those people. Um, we had a great time. As you can see, she's a Michigan fan over here, and uh, she's over here probably bidding on some item. I don't know what. But, yeah, we had a great time. My mom's name is Paulina. She also goes by Noelle's mom, so if you ever meet her, you can call her that. She'd love it and probably kiss your face because she's Romanian, and that's culturally appropriate for her. So my mom is Romanian. My dad is Romanian. They met here. I was born here. Um, and my mom has always been way cooler than me. Uh, this is a picture of her and her mom and her brother when she was like 21 or 22. I think she looks like Casey Musgraves here, and she's just awesome and cool. Um, and then she had her own girl group in Romania. So cool. She played drums. She said that her dad like threw her on the drums when she was a little girl and then made her play at weddings to make money. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, she had a really exciting life, and she's crazy and adventurous, and I love her. Um, but even though her life was really fun in Romania at times, life in Romania was really, really, really difficult. So a quick history lesson. Um, back in the 1970s, communism was just exploding through Eastern Europe. Romania was under this really terrible leader, um, the president, Nicolae Ceausescu, and he was just a really bad dude. Um, he kept people in economic poverty, and he closed borders so people couldn't get in. They couldn't come out, just kind of like Jericho, um, but not even for travel. And in fact, it was so oppressive that my mom, at 24 years old, she and her best friend decided to escape Romania and go find freedom and go find life somewhere else because it wasn't going to happen there. So one night in January of 1979, she ran away with her best friend from my grandparents' house, and they crossed the border from Romania into what was then Yugoslavia. It's now Serbia and Hungary. So they went through what they called hell on earth to try and hide from border patrol and all of these other obstacles that were in their way. I would love to share the whole story because my mom and her friend should have died multiple times. It's just crazy. But through all of it, they made it to this temporary destination, which was a refugee camp in Trieste, Italy, in the northern part of the country. Uh, my mom's best friend, Mariana, was picked up by her boyfriend. She was doing long distance at the time. Um, but my mom didn't have anyone to account for her. She didn't have anyone to claim her. So she had to stay at this camp by herself for nearly a year. It was, an, it was a really, really unsafe place to be, especially for a young single woman. I mean, there were a lot of crimes that were happening there and conditions, just living conditions there were awful. Um, she was an undocumented migrant, so she couldn't leave the camp, right? If she, if she left, she'd probably get caught and sent back. Um, she was stuck there, she didn't know anyone, she wasn't safe, and she was just waiting it out for something to happen, alone at 24. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So every three months, there would be a commissioned counselor that would come from the consulate in Geneva, Switzerland, um, and they would look at these refugee files and kind of interview them to see where they wanted to go and what their background was. Um, at the time, they were giving migrants a $5,000 $5,000 stipend to go to Australia because the population in Australia was lower and they needed more women there. Um, and they had a similar deal going on in Canada. So they were sending, trying to send people there. Um, but when my mom's term came, turn came for an interview, she told the counselor that she didn't want to go to Australia and she didn't want to go to Canada, that she wanted to go to the U.S. or some Western European country. But there were a few really big problems. One, she didn't speak English. And they told her, you can't do much in the U.S. if you can't speak English, so sorry, that's not going to happen for you. And number two, she didn't have a sponsor like a spouse or some other family member to claim her in the States or in some Western European country. And in Western European countries, there was a 10-year wait list even if you did have a sponsor. So it was crazy. 
She had this crazy faith that something else would happen. And even through all of that, she got made fun of and called crazy because she was speaking of these unattainable dreams. But she was just stubborn and didn't want to accept anyone's recommendations to do anything except for what God had told her. Dare I say that she persevered because she knew that God had other plans for her. She had this innate confidence in her that God was telling her to keep going in faith for this destination that she dreamed of. She literally had a dream that God had something else for her, and she had visions of the U.S. before she even came here. So another three months would go by, and another three months would go by, and the same, same story would unfold every time. And they'd say, woman, you're crazy. You're crazy for thinking you ever have a chance of coming to the U.S. But she kept going, and she kept waiting, and she got a job working in a cafeteria at the refugee camp, making $2 a day, literally making $2 a day. She learned to speak Italian because she was around a lot of Italian people, and she made friends, but then she would lose them because they would be sent to Australia or Canada or wherever else they would go. But one day, by God's providential grace, she met this Romanian family in the cafeteria who turned her life upside down. They had some experience. They had gone to the U.S. and come back and then couldn't get out of Romania again, so they escaped as well, and they were in this refugee camp. And they said through meeting different people, they um, knew of someone who had written a letter to the president of the United States and encouraged her to do the same thing. They said, yeah, you should write a letter to Jimmy Carter explaining your situation in detail and asking for help, and maybe he'll help you. I, I was not one of those kids who wanted to write a letter to the president and hear back, but I know that that stuff doesn't always happen. So this is like a crazy thought, right? Like refugee across the world sending a letter and somehow president would, no, that's not going to happen. So this family, they knew some English. They helped her write this one and a half page letter that she sent off to Jimmy Carter in D.C. in mid-October of 1979. And then she just waited. She waited patiently. She waited obediently. She didn't give up, and she had faith that God would make a miracle happen. She knew what she was waiting for. So she took another lap. She took another lap around the city of Jericho, and about a month later, her wall to Jericho fell. On November 19th of 1979, so that's two days from now, that's the 40th anniversary. On November 19th, 1979, she, which also happened to be her 25th birthday, she received a response from Jimmy Carter saying that she was approved a sponsorship to come to the United States through a program of the Roman Catholic Church in New York City. Friends, that's, oh, I'm getting emotional. That's 40 years ago today, or 40 years ago on Tuesday, that her perseverance paid off. And yes, her birthday is on Tuesday. She's going to be 65. She's old. She'd be okay if I said that. She had me really late. Um, but she's crazy. She acts younger than me. Um, my mom landed in New York City on December 3rd of 1979, and her story doesn't end there. She was just encountered with the Lord again and was sent to Detroit, where then she met other Romanian people. She got plugged into a church. She became a citizen. She met my dad, and then they had me. Yay, me. Um, I guess that's good. Um, my mom persevered. She trusted in what the Lord told her to do. She had faith in his faithfulness because she knew him and she knew that he would not fail, that he would not give up on her. But she had obstacles in her way, right? She couldn't just come here without a sponsor. So she had to wait for God to work. 
And he came up with this ridiculous and crazy plan for her to write a letter to the President of the United States explaining her pity situation. And then she waited. She waited in obedience, and she waited and she persevered, taking another lap for three months and another lap for three months. And God worked a miracle. He broke down the walls of the promised land and made a way for her to come here so that she could live out his will for her life. And yes, she felt absolutely ridiculous for doing what she did. I mean, she, she turned down $5,000 and a one-way trip to Australia. Would any of us do, I mean, I don't know about the one-way part, but like, would you turn down $5,000 and a trip to Australia? That sounds too good to be true for someone who has no hope and no future in the country that they're trying to get away from. It's crazy. But she felt like God was, you know, she just felt like God was keeping her in circles, and at times she totally felt like giving up. She felt ridiculous, and she just, you know, she didn't know sometimes if it was really going to happen. And I think that sometimes we feel the same way too. Have you ever felt ridiculous for following God's plan for your life? Have you ever felt like God kept you walking in circles, walking around a dream, maybe walking around a job or walking around a major that seems kind of pointless right now? Maybe God has you walking around a relationship or an issue or a goal, And in that, have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like God's plan just didn't make sense or just doesn't make sense? And have you ever felt like the way to the promised land seems pointless? I do right now. Right now, today, in this season of my life, I feel like God has me walking around my own Jericho. And he's led me right to the city, and I have this constant temptation to use my own strategy and my own plan to scale the walls and to fight my own battle. But I know that God is telling me to take another lap around the city, to keep walking, to keep praying, and to keep abiding in him until those walls come down. But sometimes I just want to give up, and I want to stop walking in circles, okay, because it's tiring and it feels hopeless. I just want to take the $5,000 and go to Australia, but guess what? God did not tell me to do that. Why does God do it this way? Why does God keep us walking, and why can't we just get to the promise in a way that makes sense for us? Why does God give us these specific instructions that seem absolutely crazy, And then when we follow these instructions, when we keep taking these laps, sometimes we don't even see any progress. You know, you'd think that maybe a brick or two would fall down every time they walked around the walls, right? You'd think there would be some kind of sign of encouragement to keep going. But there wasn't. And for us sometimes, there isn't any sign of encouragement. And sometimes I think we find ourselves saying, God, I'll, I'll do the thing you want me to do for as long as you want me to do it, but God, can you, can you just tell me for how long I have to do this? Can you just tell me how long I have to walk around the city? And God says, trust me, right? Kind of like, like Abraham. So we keep going for so long, and then we want to give up. We want to quit on lap six, And sometimes we don't even know that we're on lap six. I mean, can you imagine how this story would have ended if Joshua gave up? Can you imagine how this story would have ended if his 
men stopped marching around? Or how this, our story would look different if Moses didn't persevere through the wilderness for 40 years? Trusting in the voice of the Lord and only in the voice of the Lord when he had other voices around him, his own people doubting him. Can you imagine if Abraham didn't go to the unknown when God told him to? I mean, I even think about this ministry. I think about campus ministry at GVSU. Some of you don't know the history, but 54 years ago, there was a seminary intern and a couple pastors from the, air, the area who heard from the Lord saying that there needed to be a revival on this campus, okay, 54 years ago. Do you think that seminary intern saw any of this coming? And did he think it was crazy? Did he think what God was asking him was crazy? Probably. And do you think God had him walking in circles? Absolutely, he sure did. He had obstacles. I read the reports. But through faith and perseverance, God made a way, and we have a revival happening on this campus today in 2019. Amen? I think about my mom's story and the circles that she just had to kept, keep walking in while God was at work. And she can look back now and connect all the dots. She knows that she needed to be here. She knows she needed to meet my dad. She knows she needed to have me and send me off so I could be here with all of you. And there's more to the story. That's just, you know, that's one way of looking at it. I also fully believe that the Lord will raise up other leaders of faith if we don't show up and if we decide to give up. But why wouldn't we want to accept the invitation to trust God and to participate in the miracles that he's working, right? Miracles that he's been working, miracles that he's working right now, miracles that he's going to continue to work. So I want to ask you, what is, it, what is that invitation for you? What is God inviting you to walk around? What's your Jericho? What's your land of milk and honey? And I know some of you, myself included, are probably asking God, how much longer? God, how much longer until these walls come down? How much longer do I have to be single? How much longer do I have to wait until I get accepted into the nursing program? How much longer until I'm healed? How much longer until I'm free from this addiction? God, how much longer? It's okay to ask God those questions and give him our laments. But while we do that, will we continue to persevere? Will you continue to study hard even when your grades don't reflect it? Will you continue to take courses in your major even though you don't know what you want to do with it yet? Will you continue to pray? Will you continue to keep forgiving people who've hurt you? Will you keep doing the thing even when results aren't showing up? Will you keep walking even when it's not working? And do you believe that God is working even when you don't see it? Don't give up on day six. Okay, don't give up on day six. Some of us are walking and we don't even know how close we are to seeing that miracle. We don't even know how close we are to seeing the promise that's right before us. It's just on the other side of the wall. It's like two feet away. We don't even know it. I mean, think about what kind of miracles would be true in our lives if we persevered in faith. 
By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Read through Hebrews 11. It will blow your mind with stories of God making a way and working miracles because people were faithful. Sometimes God's strategies are absolutely crazy. We've read about some of them, and some of us have even lived those strategies. They're crazy. But let me tell you something. There is no crazier plan than God becoming a man who suffered persecution and went to the cross to bear all of our sins, to rise from the dead and ascend into heaven so that we could have new life. Amen? Nothing is crazier than that. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, why should we even be forgiven? Why should we be given a fresh start? We're sinful people. Why shouldn't we work really hard to earn our salvation in ways that make sense to us? Because God hasn't chosen to work that way. He wants us to know that it's only by his power and his grace and his mercy and his love that anything is possible in our lives. It's not by our own cleverness or our manipulation or our human power, but it's only by Christ and his power alone. And he keeps us walking, right? He keeps us walking around the city just long enough to know that there's nothing Nothing that we can do to bring the walls down on our own. Because if he would bring the walls down the first time we make that lap around the city, we'd think it's because of us, and we'd think it's because of our own power and our own walking. So he keeps us going. He keeps us walking just long enough for our perspective to change. Long enough for us to know and believe that it's only by Christ that we have been delivered into freedom. From the wilderness to the land of milk and honey, from communist Romania and a refugee camp in Italy to Ann Arbor, Michigan, from a small ministry on Grand Valley's College in 1965 to a ministry raging on fire for Jesus in 2019. Amen? And I wonder what else is God doing? What is God working in your life right now or in the lives of your family members on this campus? What is God trying to do on this campus that we're just so ready to give up on right now? I'm, I'm thinking about this place. It's packed right now with the seven. It's going to be packed at the nine. What would it look like if we packed this whole building because people fell in love with Jesus? What does it mean for us? And can we keep going and trusting that God is going to make a way and work a miracle? Continue to show up. And take another lap. Don't take the money. Don't go to Australia. Don't stop walking. Persevere through God's crazy, crazy, crazy battle plan. My friend shared this with me. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Know that we're not abandoned to walk this alone. Abide in the one who gives faith for us to persevere and see the miracles through. And my friends, believe me, it's going to happen. It happened for the Israelites in Jericho. It happened for my mom, and it's going to happen for us too. Don't give up on day six. Will you pray with me?
God, we give you all glory and honor and praise because you are faithful to keep your promise to make a way and to work miracles in our lives. You're a God of mystery and wonder, but sometimes it's really hard to believe it and it just doesn't make sense. God, we confess that we're weak and sometimes we're even tempted to give up. Sometimes we just want to take the ticket to Australia or stop walking because we're tired of going around in circles. But God, you've invited us to do so much more, so much more that we can't even imagine, that we can't even comprehend right now because of our limited perspective on what you're doing. So Jesus, would you fill us with your spirit who gives us power to keep going and power to keep moving, Lord, energy and strength, God, only from you. Fill us with your spirit who gives us faith to persevere even when it doesn't make sense. And God, help us to look up to you when what we see in front of us doesn't make sense or seems impossible. We want to see your miracles through. God, we love you so much and we ask and believe all of this in the powerful name of Jesus who has delivered us and sent us into freedom. Amen.